Hi, and welcome to the second row round 19 recap podcast. Oshin is with me as always. Absolutely, all the way from bright and sunny Edinburgh this weekend. And I'm actually in Sligo this weekend. Um, <laughs> We're on the road, people. That's it. So, look, this week we'll start, talk about Connacht's trip to Swansea, then move on to Edinburgh versus Ulster, and then we'll head into Saturday's fixtures, Leinster v Zebra, and then Munster's first game in South Africa against the Kings. After that, we'll quickly round up the other results and finish out with our top performer and clown of the round. And we'll get the worst performance from an Irish perspective out of the way early. Connacht. Connacht. And you just might have to stop me from saying idiots for five minutes. <laughs> that could be like that would could easily be my review of the game. So what happened? Like thirty nine to ten. We knew it was gonna be a tough game, but it was pretty painful. Well, that, I'm gonna set the scene. It's sixteen minutes, we're thirteen nil down, and Ospreys haven't entered our twenty two. Okay. Apart from the breakaway try. That sums up our game. You know, it's it was just stupid penalties stupid decisions and I, I i can't put into words of how terrible a performance it was so, i mean we knew we knew this wasn't going to be a vintage kind of performance but you had a you had a degree of optimism about like the back row about peter rob coming back in yeah there was like there were some nice things happening you know like individual things there's so little cohesion amongst every everything you know like rob played well but his style is very similar to griffin's they're big ball carriers you know griffin's not renowned for his great hands so when you have a great back three and you have two centres like that, well, you know, they're not going to get any ball. Like, we didn't capitalise on the yellow card and there's an argument to be had about it being soft, like knee was away down the line, but it's one of those, one, it's one of those ones where another ref would only give a penalty, you know? So Yeah, the refereeing seems to be pretty good, but there's a bit of fluffing around with, um, with the TMO again. In the second half, uh, we're 2010 down, Carter gets a penalty, kicks it over, in his mind he kicks it over, Touch judges and the ref go no. Why did the post play on? And clearly, once the ref the and clearly once the camera went behind the goal, you saw it go over the posts, and he's screaming at um, Whitehouse to go to the TMO, and like that decision that not going to the TMO wasn't the winning or losing the game, but it really took the air out of Conor sales. You know when you're at at that point where you're getting back into a score. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. But with with my tinfoil hat on for a moment, like this, I saw some photo this weekend that Whitehouse was actually at Dan Bigger's wedding. He was a groomsman. <laughs> scandal. Scandal. Oh, no, look, it's one of those things with refereeing. I think you just have to have that perception of being whiter than white. I'd have the exact same issue. I think I think people should have the exact same issue with Frank Murphy refereeing Connacht matches. It wasn't going to be the deciding of the game. I mean, Bigger ran that match for the Ospreys. He was head and shoulders above the rest of the players on that pitch. He was head, shoulders, knees and toes, the best player on the field. Like there is there, you know, when people would say there's that international class, he was international class. But like that being said, Connacht lacked intensity, lacked accuracy, whereas Ospreys were clinical and focused. So what 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 do we see from from Connacht that was strong? What do what what do we see them doing well? Like Rob carried really well. Like for coming back for his first game this season, at all, he was one of the better players on the pitch. Our mall defense was good. Line-out wasn't as faulty as normal. Tierno O'Hara never gave up. Carty has shown once again that ball in hand, he's our best 10. And when Rawlson comes on for him, I don't feel we're going to win a game with that change. I'd rather stick with Carty for the 80 or as long as possible until he's literally walking off the Legs field, are hanging exhausted. off him. He's not able to yeah. walk anymore. Yeah. He's going to create. And we don't have that when Rawlson comes on. Yeah. In general, any kind of systematic weaknesses that you're looking at? Any big concerns that you have? 
decision making main um, in the main was really poor. Um, Nee got caught in defence a few times, but it really looked like he wasn't sure whether to drift or shoot. He was getting caught in that no man's land quite a bit. Um, our one on one tackling is just awful. I think we actually give Kings a run for their money, like for bad tackling this season. I don't know about that. And just on that match in particular, I think Griffin had the worst game of rugby I've seen a professional player have. I think his actions were responsible for at least 13 of Osprey's points between two penalties and the pass for the intercept try on the Osprey's five-metre line, and they run the full length of the pitch. Not a good day at the office. Oh, it was just really poor, and I could see it. You could see it coming. You could actually see the pass coming and the intercept coming. And if I can see that, a professional rugby player can definitely see it. <laughs> um, two games left this season. What do they have to do better? Just be better. I know that sounds like a really shallow note, but um, players are not playing good enough individually. Is it a coach issue? I mean, it sounds like there's issues with the system as well as just individual application. Well, the thing is, and this is the sense I've got, KK is treating these players like grown-ups. He wants them to go out and play rugby, get themselves motivated and play well, you know, and they're not doing that. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think you can uh, absolve KK from all blame, you know, off this situation. But there is a personal responsibility on players to play well and to play to their own standards. Yeah, but like like I said, two games left this season. Let's see if they can um, lift the performance a bit. There's, uh, there's a big home game against Leinster a couple of weeks out, so we'll see if they can put a performance together. Um, who did put a performance together this week was uh, the proud Ulsterman. Oh, like like you said on uh, Friday morning, a quick start was vital, and to win thirty two twenty away from home is is actually a big deal. Yeah, and I mean Ulster held onto the ball the first five minutes. They kind of settled the game. They were camped in Edinburgh's half. Um, but looking back at this game, it feels as much like Edinburgh lost this as Ulster won it. Um, there were major defensive errors for Ulster's first three tries. Um, you probably saw the highlights of this, but the for the first one, it was an overlap, but that overlap got created because the last defender from Edinburgh bit in, and then there was a lovely out-the-back offload from Piatau to release Stockdale down the wing. Um, the second one was really poor, so there was a centre-field rock ball, and Edinburgh just got their numbers all wrong. They got, they got caught with, again, a massive overlap on the right-hand side. And a couple of passes and they were in. And for the third one, again, the defensive line was all over the place. Stockdale kind of half-slipped a tackle, got through and had acres of space to book Cooney in. But like from what I saw there, it looked like Ulster were really playing on the game line. Like something I haven't seen them play all this season, like properly taking the ball and passing on the game line. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think the other side of it as well, which was interesting, was it was all coming off... Um, first or second phase so it wasn't big long pressure grinding them down which you've seen and we did see for the fourth try for Ulster but the first three were very much kind of clinical moves fast hands in the backs moving the point of attack and as you said playing flat to the game line um it was great it was it was really really good to see and I think there was a little bit of inaccuracy in the breakdown for the first half but by 60 minutes you're kind of watching all the 50-50 calls start to go to Ulster which is huge because their pack performance this season has been poor. So to kind of have that type of forward, um, that forward base dominance is very is very good. It's a good sign for them. Yeah, it's surprising. And I mean, once once you kind of convince a ref, and I mean, it's not that the refs make the wrong decisions, but 
a ref will get a perception that your team has a certain degree of dominance at set piece or at breakdown. Um, and they certainly planted that seed in Nigel's head, which was great. Um, it's all about painting that picture. There you go. Perception again. The theme of this episode is perception. Um, <laughs> speaking of perception, like when did Duncan Weir get fast? See, Connacht are not the only team to get caught out by this. <laughs> no, but like he doesn't look fast. He doesn't look fast <laughs> when he's running. No, I know what you mean. Like he do, he doesn't seem fast, but he's he's caught two teams out now in a few weeks, so he's doing something right. He kind of, do you know the scene in The Simpsons where Uder is running and he's like, please don't make me run, I'm full of chocolate. <laughs> I just get that sense when I see Duncan Weir running, which is bad for him, but sure. I don't know. It could have got worse, though, because um, Kinghorn had a kick through about two minutes after that intercept try, and if it hadn't gone completely dead, there was a decent chance Edinburgh you know, came back to, I think they would have been ahead at that point. Edinburgh were always in, in this game, though. You know, really. Until the very end, they were really in this game. I mean, th- their scrum was blowing um, was blowing Ulster off the park in the second half, but at least you have Cooney there who's going to keep ticking points over on the board. Um, and again, th- what was really impressive to see was Ulster just kept pushing right until the end and they got that bonus point try. And there's a huge difference in that fixture between um, four match points to one and five match points to nil. Yeah, so like, look over the match overall. What were strengths were Ulster showing? Um I tell you what, Rory Best made a huge difference. They just they look so much more composed and organised when he's on the pitch. They're not making the same kind of silly defensive errors. Um, Cooney's boot. So if you look at other games this weekend where you needed your kicker to keep scoring points, even Scarlet's in Glasgow, like Finn Russell missed a couple of kicks and it just set the tone of that game all wrong. Yeah, like and there's times that uh, Carity just and it's been throughout the season he misses that one kick when we need to get on the front foot or just settle the team, but. Like, look at Pietel, Stockdown, to a lesser degree, McCoskey. They just had moments of magic, line breaks, offloads, vision. You know, it's amazing that the back three they have in Ulster and what they can do. Yeah, the back four in this game. Um, just before halftime, Magnus Bradbury ran over Louis Ludic like a freight train and nearly murdered him. And two minutes later, he came off and knew Tommy Bowen. Um, Bradbury and Madden were making yards all night it was strange normally they're deployed more around the breakdown but they carried a lot of ball for Edinburgh so that was a good call by you so I, I was strange I was expecting him to be all over Ulster's breakdown which possibly would have been a more effective deployment of him but um, he was certainly making yards in the loose and I don't think that uh, he'll be getting a Christmas card from Ulster rugby this year well like one thing Ulster seemed to have improved on from the beginning is that fight to the very very end because I haven't seen that this season yeah, they, they stayed in the game right up until it, and that's that's that leadership thing we talked about last week, which there was far more of. Whether that's Henderson stepping up, having best back, uh, it was just a lot better. So like you know, so they fought to the end, but like, what did they do badly? Where they were they weak? Like one thing is that Cooney is actually just too nice. Like, I know that sounds kind of daft, but Cooney had players running in his passing lanes all day. He had lazy Edinburgh defenders, and at some point, you just need to ding the ball off them and get your penalty. And the set piece was inconsistent. Like the, There's a lot of changeover in personnel in the last couple of weeks, but the line-out was a bit of a lottery. Um, the scrum was ropey as until Rodney Ayew came on later in the second half. Things have never been said about Dave until this until now. That's not an only fools and horses joke, is it? Hey, that only fools and horses joke has been going on cost for years. So... <laughs> But the young O'Toole, uh, like I know he struggled there, but it was decent in the loose, which is a nice sign for for Ulster. Yeah, it carried some ball. I think, and look, I mean, it, it's hard to come in at that level against decent props and and perform, but it's certainly an area they need to be aware of. 
So where else do I also need to improve from going forward? So, so two weeks left to go. They they obviously need to take maximum points, and I think they need to tighten up the set piece, make sure that they can guarantee their possession after that. We've seen what their backs can do with good ball. So if their forwards can guarantee it for the next couple of games, then maybe Ulster could surprise everyone and uh, and get something out of this season. You just never know with Ulster. That's, I think that's the main point we're taking from this. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of impossible to call at the moment, but they have, they have the raw talent there. It's just can they apply it. Yeah, so like we'll move on to Saturday and uh, Leinster, Zebra. Like Leinster won comfortably in the end, but... Like I have to give Zebra their dues. Like they played with a lot of endeavour in that first half. They did, and they're creating opportunities. But I think the difference is that a better team would finish some of them. But to win forty one six is just a great result. You know, even if they were completely disjointed in attack in the first half and relying individually on low, because I I were I wasn't seeing where those tries are coming from if it wasn't for him. Yeah, that first half was an absolute snooze fest. Um, they they never really got out of first gear, and pl- playing a team like Zebra, you don't need to. But the, the first half was genuinely very boring. Yeah, like the way I, when it comes to Zebra or any, or Kings or like any of the lower teams, is you just, and the longer you keep them in the game, the more chance that they have of biting you in the ass. Yeah, and I mean, Leinster came out in the second half and it, it was a little bit better. There, there was a little bit more rhythm to it. They were a lot more cohesive. They, Leinster in their sleep have enough to, to put Zebra away. I mean, at one stage, 20 minutes in, the camera pans yeah. to the bench and you're just looking at the players who's, who are sitting on the Leinster bench, not even on the subs bench today, but just there with the squad. And like this is a second or third string Leinster side in a couple of positions. So, And you're still talking about players that would kind of walk into any other team in the Pro 14. Yeah, like Max Deegan was incredible today. Max oh yeah, he was worth his man the match. But that try he got to start, to start the second half was just pure intelligence. I, I was watching this and I actually controversial I think the ball was still in the rook um, <laughs> yeah maybe Davis is just going to be fashionable at the moment maybe cool intelligent tries are in this month um, but no like you played you played, you, you played a whistle it was, um, it was it was well done oh definitely and the moment of the match was Daly's touch in 64 minutes that was just insane like to, to control a high ball like that just to pop it up to himself was just Ridiculous. Yeah, it was it was Ronaldo esque, but um, Bowden Barrett did something similar for the Hurricanes last week, where he there was a, a grubber kick through, and again he he chipped it up to himself and caught it and ran the length of the pitch, and the internet lost his mind. And to be honest, this was every bit as good. Oh, definitely. Like Leinster, like they took their tries well. You know, it's one of those games that didn't get out of second gear. You're kind of just expecting more to happen. Like and Zebra then fell apart with ten minutes to go. Like, they really had nothing to show once their little once the first half was over. Like with 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 these games, with the Zebra game, with the Southern Kings game, you're kind of watching, and the the big question is, when are the heads going to drop, and then when are the the better team going to start running in tries? But that this game like showed for me in a in a Leinster perspective anyway that like Burn is an incredibly tidy ten like. He doesn't really do anything that like gets the blood going though. Like he's not, he's no Joey Carberry. No, but like uh, these, this mercurial ten for me is a myth. You know, like no one like playing with Madden because no one knew, knew what he was gonna do. You know, so like Burns, that steady guy, gets the ball out to the back line, gets the, gets to the back ball to the back line intelligently, and has a great kick for the crossfield. You know, he does have tools to unlock the fences. 
Yeah, it's just, it reminds me of watching uh, David Humphreys play, where you're like, oh, and now he gets the ball. Oh, and now he passes the ball. I would struggle to see him being a first-choice front-line 10 for Leinster, particularly given the way they like to play. True. But, like, to speaking of first-choice players, first team, first name on the team sheet for Leinster has got to be low, well, especially for the wings, anyway. Uh, he's just... What a signing he's turned out to be. Like, I mean, I remember watching him um, a couple of, for a couple of seasons playing with the Chiefs um, down in Super Rugby, and I wasn't convinced that he'd be able to convert that form when he came to the Northern Hemisphere. Like he, he played really well with Mackenzie and the other players down there, but he's been exceptional. Like His try-scoring record is so good. Oh, definitely. And since he's learned how to defend, it's kind of helped. Yeah, and he's a monster tackler, so you're going to get a performance out of him either way. But, I mean, Leinster have strength all over the pitch and strength and depth. Like Their back row is just ridiculous. Like Yeah, like I think Sean O'Brien's going to have a fight to get back in. But it just, I think you have to play Sean O'Brien, but just where do you put him? Yeah, I mean, Dan Levy has to start in that back row. And after after that, it's where do you fit the rest of Leinster's absurd, offensive amount of talent in? So, obviously, no team are perfect, even Leinster. Where, where were they not so great in this game? Like, for me, Gibson Park was poor. His kicking was poor. He just kicked too long all the time for me. Like, he didn't give his chasers any time. And he just slowed the, the game down. Anytime Leinster up the tempo, they just smash through Zebra. I think that's probably a bit harsh. I mean, there was there was a couple of loose kicks, but you had that from from everybody in the back line. Um, the centers were were kicking the ball away a bit, but I think Jamie did well around the park, Gibson Park, um, as well. There was a, there was a couple of good tackles. I think agree to disagree. He's not special, but I don't think he was the losing of the game or, or that big of a that big of a risk for Leinster. Yeah, no, like, I think uh, Leinster's big issues, their second string centre partnership, for me, had very little to offer. You know, just the ball just moved across them. There was no spark there. I wonder whether that's a case of their, like, get the ball to the wings, that's where our danger men are. But, like, Daly looked much more dangerous in the centre when he played there. Um, the young guy at 12, Conor O'Brien, he's, um, he's ex-UCD. I was talking to a couple of guys who played with him, and it may just be a case of taking a couple of games to settle. They, they didn't they didn't do a lot in this game no I think they're very they're quiet I think that's the best way to describe them in the game when they're, they've won by 40 points and being quiet in the centre is not a good sign speaking of quiet like has there ever been a more overhyped Leinster back than Adam Byrne <laughs> Rob Kearney <laughs> ouch um, yeah no, I'm, I'm like I am joking you know <laughs> you know it know. is a joke it, like it's fashionable to take piss on Rob Kearney yeah that's, oh, yeah, that's how we do that, things that's still a thing right yeah okay uh, him. Yeah, it did. Adam Byrne at this point blew onto the scene, and he just seems to have quietly blew back off it again. At the moment, the best thing he has going for him is that his name can be said by Royal Nugent the same way you can say Tommy Bo, but I don't think that's going to be enough to, to like get he, the Ireland caps. Like he has been um, injured since November, so you have to take that into consideration. He's yeah. only back into the Leinster team. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying not saying he's a write off, but I just I, I think. In terms of players who are playing above or below their potential right now, he's definitely in the in the below category. So, like from that match, really, Leinster don't have much to learn. They didn't need to get out of second gear, and like I would have genuinely feared for Zebra if they actually did get out of second gear. Yeah, it would have been it, it could have been a cricket score if they decided to really turn on the class. So, Leinster top of the conference, likely to get straight to a home semi final. So, nothing more to nothing more to see here. True, like and 
I was watching the the King's Monster game and talked about things not really to see. That was such a really poor game. <laughs> Monster didn't really stamp their authority on a, what was a very scrappy game. Like, you didn't need to do a lot, but you should have blown this King's team away. Yeah, and talk about not killing a team off. They just kept coming back at us, and I think they were they, they scored a great try in the last minute of the game, but the, the, the one thing I said, the one thing I said was come out of this without any injuries, and we've lost another front row forward. Ah, uh, look, he's going to have no luck than bad luck. <laughs> but James Cronin, and it's this, I think it's the same shoulder that he's done before, so like genuinely it, I'd, I would rather at this point have no luck the poor lad has, has just struggled so hard to, to get fit and stay fit interesting King's starts like I mean they put the two tries on us in that yellow card period it it felt a bit soft are we are we not rocking are we not rocking anymore is that not a thing see the thing is the King's player was prone and he's led with the shoulder it's more like for me it was more of a symptom of your first half it was just stupidity of how we rocked, rocked you know like, he's gone led with a shoulder and pushed him through with his arms. Like, oh, you know, like, I used my arms there in the end. You know, it's one of those things, another ref doesn't give it. Yeah. I mean, look, if, whatever, whatever about the decision, I mean, I don't think it was wildly unreasonable. I just thought it was a bit harsh. But the Kings did well to, to come back and, and get their get their two tries in that period. Like, the first try was really good. It was just good opportunism. Spotted the numbers overlap and, and stuck a grubber through. It was, it was really nicely executed. and. Yeah, really good vision to capitalise straight away. They didn't wait. It was just like, oh, head up, space, kick, gone. Wasn't wasn't sure about the second one. Uh, bit dodgy. Yeah, like personally, I can't believe the ref didn't stop the play beforehand, given where the injured player was. He used the injured player to run a blocking line, which was clever, but sketchy. Yeah, ref, no, ref should stop. Should be stopping the, um, the play in that instance. But like, let's be perfectly honest, the scorer didn't have to work all that hard in that five-meter channel. There was four defenders around him. And he just barreled through. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'll come back to it later, but our, our tackling under some circumstances, under, under specific circumstances, is not where it needs to be this season. Having said that, when Munster did eventually decide to play a bit of rugby, it didn't really have that hard to work. <laughs> no, um, Kings don't need a defence coach, they need a tackle, tackle coach. Like, they give up yards in contact. I don't think there's any tackle bags in Port Elizabeth. Like, I presume that they're just kind of going around knocking over you know, small children or open doors because their ability to hold and, and hit on a defensive line is is absolutely appalling. You know, I don't think you can really talk about this match in terms of Kings because they're just, they're like a training opposition 15 at times, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Run out the, run out the semi-contact stuff. Yeah, like I was really impressed with the intent you had before half-time, how you took that try. Yeah, actually, and... I think once once they did start up, the gears came out in the second half and made the Kings look as poor as they were. Yeah. Like, you know, in the second half, we did have our ref banter moment of um, him going to Scannell. You look tired and, the you know, you do know the altitude is next week. Oh, aha, top quality banter. The refs have to try and get in the highlight trail at this stage. Nigel ruining it for everybody. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, though, that, that bonus point try was magic. Oh, the offload from Scannell to Goggins. That was, was unreal. It that, was that, filthy. <laughs> it was one of those ones I've actually had to watch it back three or four times to kind of really see what happened. Yeah, like the like the tight furlong offload to Bundy for the, the try against England. You're just like, how did he do that? What happened? And like Nash had a Nash had a really good game. Like he, he is showing all of the type of potential that, that he was talked about from from an under twenties perspective. Um Really, really good line breaks. Really, really good offloads. Uh, I just 
aggressive in the contact, like making yards after the tackle in a lot of the cases. Yeah, no, like in all fairness, she ran out hand enough winners in the end. But like Kings, unlike Zebra, always stay in a game, don't they? Yeah, and I think that that forced us to to maintain our intensity. Like we had a lot of subs come on, um, kind of from fifty minutes onwards, and it was nice to see that there wasn't a, a drop off. Like you look at a couple of games we've had recently, and it's got a bit scattered after that last 10, 15 minutes. But it was nice. There was a bit of a maintenance of effort and still scoring tries till the end. Yeah, like you know, yeah, and you have to give Kings their due for that final try. You know, some lovely hands, sport lines, Bandit involved a few times. Like in all fairness, you go Kings and good. Bandit is there. Yeah, it's good shout. He was um he was pretty handy today. Um didn't get as much space as I think he would have liked, but kicked well and um was nifty enough with ball in hand. But like, you know, you can only put that down to Munster him not getting the space. So like what other strengths did Munster really show during that game? So set piece was really dominant. Um and that's missing a couple of key players. Like when our liner is that dominant without Peter O'Mahony or Jack O'Donoghue in it for most of the game, that's um that's impressive stuff. Um and our backline, which has got a, a lot of young players in it or unfamiliar combinations, is playing with real confidence. And it's great going forward to like the knockout season as well. Yeah, trying to take a bit of momentum in. And like a special word for like the home crowd, by which I mean the Munster fans. Like you think the game was in Tipperary North Riding, not George, South Africa. Oh, the so many people travelled. Fair play, like, you know. And the, the great thing is when there's two matches back to back like this, you can really make it a holiday and really have that once in a lifetime opportunity trip to South Africa. For sure. Monday we'll have to we'll have to go on a second row podcast tour next year now. I'm hoping like if Connor have the back to back matches I'll be doing the same. Um still still stuff to do. I mean there wasn't a whole lot to learn. The standard of the opposition wasn't great. Um but we did let our intensity drop off, which is uh, not going to be good enough next week against the better team of the Cheetahs. No, Cheetahs will really do you if you could play like that. You know, like you can't give them a sniff. I think too many teams have realised that, especially at home. If you give them a sniff, they will take it. They will devour you. Oh, that's a really bad animal joke, but fair enough. Squad depth is the other big worry. Like we, we can't afford to lose a frontline player at this point with the games we have left this season. Yeah, and like, and like no more than ourselves. You are missing that a few kicks per game. Yeah, n- nothing, nothing that causes any problems here. But if it's a tight game and you need to close it out, then you, you've got to be guaranteeing those. Yeah, so like going forward, what the monster need? Bubble wrap? Armour? <laughs> probably the biggest issue for us right now is our scramble defence. Like, it's not the players aren't working hard, but we keep getting caught out. So we just need to have a little bit more probably composure when it when it does go a bit wrong. So like, I think that's the Irish provinces kind of really wrapped up nicely. Um, so we'll just kind of head into the other three games. Yeah, Cheetahs Cardiff was a game of two halves and then another half, six minutes of additional time. So the uh, the Cheetahs were 22-6 up at half time, but then were five points down at the final whistle. And then a penalty try six minutes after the clock was dead to win it. So it was a bit of a weird one. In all fairness, you have to give Cardiff credit because they had zero prep for this, given like all the crap they had with getting to Bloom, with missed flights and gear not arriving. You know, to kind of even be within that is a testament to them. Absolutely. Like then it was a strong result for Scarlets. Glasgow just didn't take their chances and were made to pay. Yeah, I, I expected better from Glasgow in this game, but the Scarlets really put them away. A uh, nice moment for Tyburn as well. Uh, standing ovation from the Scarlets, possibly their last home game, depending on how the um, the playoffs go. So it's a nice moment for him, I think. Yeah, like, and you must be delighted with him, and you must be delighted with him coming oh, to you next year. And that's really the expect he's getting. To it. I mean, he's, he's leading a load of um, turnover stats across all competitions this year. He's going to be great. 
Um, and then Benetton got the as expected bonus point win, but it was closer than I thought it would be. Dragons within two points at the end, and they were again twenty points down at half time and sixty seconds away from nicking a win. Jeez, could you imagine? Mortification. So we'll move on for top performing clown around. You know, we're going to keep this as a, a section for the end of each podcast. And like you've picked our top performer. Yeah, so in the week that was in it, um, I've gone for CJ Stander, returned to his hometown and showed the South African rugby fans exactly what they're missing. He had uh, one try, uh, was top monster carrier, beat three defenders and a uh, nice way to celebrate his birthday last week. So happy birthday, CJ. Thanks again. Happy birthday and very nice. Um, honourable mention though for Rory Best, um, he made a huge difference coming back in and really helped to lift that Ulster side. What about our clown of the round, Boric? What have we got for us this week? Um, rugby crowd surfing. I think I missed a memo where it's a good idea to dive aimlessly over the top of a ruck. Like the Zebra number six, Valerio Bernabeu, I don't care if I said that wrong, on 3250. Or like James Hart jumping into the arms of four Kings defenders at 64 minutes. That was brilliant. Like the camera cuts to Conway laughing his head off. It was it was about the most brainless pair of things you've ever seen. You know, this is news, guys, but rugby is played on the ground. So maybe stay there instead of aimlessly leaping like a salmon into the arms of defending players or trying to, I don't know, Superman over the top of a rook. So top performer, CJ Stander, and clown the round, rugby crowd surfing. That's us for this week. We'll be back on Friday, April 13th, previewing round 20. Reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Twitter where we're at the second row. That's 2ND, not the word second. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, subscribe, and generally spread the word. Like comments are really useful on Facebook and Twitter for helping spread the words. So until next time, goodbye and thank you for listening. Take care.